Cashflow Guys podcast, episode 13. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to learn to earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome, folks, to episode 13 of the Cashflow Guys podcast. I got a special treat for you guys today. You hear me talk a lot about wholesalers and the asset they provide to the business. Um, as an agent, you know, a lot of agents think that wholesalers are are doing something illegal or stealing from them or all this other garbage that you hear out there in the street. And as you've heard in our previous episodes, we embrace wholesalers, what they're doing out there. They're out there negotiating, getting great deals finding opportunity, helping people out of situations that they got themselves into that in a lot of cases, the real estate agent isn't going to be able to help them out with. Um, in this episode, I'm going to introduce Jimmy Culler. Jimmy is somebody that I've done business with in the past. He is a local wholesaler here. And he's. we're going to discuss wholesaling as far as how it goes down here in the Pinellas County, Tampa Bay market here in Florida. And uh, you ready to get started? And here we go, Jimmy. Hey, Tyler. Hey, how you doing, man? Good, good. You? Oh, pretty good. So on this episode, as you heard my intro there, I want to talk about what exactly does a wholesaler do? There's a lot of uh, mystery surround, surrounding it. A lot of people don't really understand the benefit of wholesaling. So I thought we'd start right there and go in with what exactly does a wholesaler do? Sure. Uh, we primarily find opportunities uh, on a consistent basis. So uh, we're constantly uh, talking to sellers, making offers, uh, making agreements that uh, we can structure that are, that would be attractive to our investors. Okay, and, so, um, so and that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I've seen opportunities where I've you know I've, before I I did wholesaling myself years ago when I first got started in real estate. I I come into a, somebody's house and you know they got to get out of their house next week. They can't wait half the time for me to fill out all 35 pages of the paperwork that the broker requires you to fill out the MLS and they don't want photographs. They don't want their stuff on the internet in cases like that. That's generally when your phone rings, correct? They need to get this done now. They don't have time. Exactly. You know, I get the call when, uh, you know, when the couple is about to, uh, see the sheriff coming, you know, uh, the foreclosure sale is, is looming. Uh, you know, we just had a case like this where, that these people had a house just full of stuff, 40 years worth of stuff. You you might call it a hoarder house. And, uh, you know, the house was in serious disrepair. And, you know, fortunately for them, they did have enough equity uh, that we could that we could actually help them. But, yeah, we were able to uh, close that transaction, you know, literally days before the foreclosure sale. But we did it all inside of a week. 
Wow, that's cool. And that's one of the big difference I see besides, you know, when I compare wholesalers to licensed agents, and I ask this question a lot just because I'm curious if I'm going to get an answer when I when I ask a licensed agent, Mr. Miss Listing Agent, why is Tom Smith selling his house? And usually there's silence on the other end of the phone. They don't know. They don't ask. And nothing wrong with agents. I'm, I'm Obviously, I'm an agent, but I find that working with wholesalers or working with investors we're better able to get to the source of the seller's pain. In other words, why are they selling? I mean, I'm sure you spend a great deal of time getting to the source of why they're really selling because as we've talked about previously, it's not always about the price. I mean, agents tend to think that it's all about the price and I'm going to get them top dollar for their house. And the reality of it is there's a lot of people out there that really don't care about top dollar. They just don't want the sheriff's office kicking the door in is really what they're trying to accomplish. Can you enlighten me a little bit about that and what you've seen? Uh, yes, we've uh, we've definitely got an advantage uh, in that we screen sellers specifically for motivation. Um, in other words, I, I don't want to go on an appointment and you know, be in a seller's house for a guy that wants retail and can wait for the absolute top dollar for the next six to nine months. You know, those are situations where a realtor is definitely going to be able to help those people uh, a lot better than I would. Mm-hmm. You know, so in our, in our screening process, we're specifically looking for the why. If there is no real reason, you know, if they just want to, I don't know, they just feel like they need to get that money and put it to work somewhere else or what have you, if they don't have a real motivation, then chances are I'm not even going uh, to see the house. I see. Okay. So essentially, and like, like Jimmy, you and I've done before is we bounce leads off each other. And I've had situations where, you know, the seller needs to dump this place quickly and, or they don't want photographs on the internet or, or they want to maintain some privacy. I know I've picked up the phone on several occasions and called you and said, you know, Jimmy, go see what you can do with this. And sometimes you can do something with it. And sometimes you can't. Um, and we've done the same thing in reverse where you've had a, unmotivated seller and you've referred those those people to me and so you know agents wholesalers when you're out there part of the reason of this podcast is to bring groups of people together that are involved in real estate investing somehow whether you're a service provider or you're an investor or you're doing whatever and here's a perfect example of where some people may think that we're on opposite sides of the tracks well actually we're on the same side of the track and we're both focused on finding situations finding problems and helping people out of them Jimmy, you're able to do it a lot faster than most agents are, granted, because of the network that you've built and the cash buyer list and things like that. But And that brings me up. How do you go about finding motivated sellers? Just generally, sure. how do you find him? Well, we make uh, – it's consistent, massive action, uh, really. But, you know, the primary, I would say the largest, uh, most successful marketing campaign that we have is direct mail. Um, and the most, uh, the highest performer out of that is inherited property, um, specifically the, the probate properties, uh, where people, you know, are inheriting from a deceased loved one or a family member in a lot of cases, and they don't need that house. And, uh, so that's probably the number one source, uh, but we get a lot of business also from referral, uh, from agents like yourself or, you know, bird dogs and things of that nature. Okay. And let's say I woke up one day and decided I wanted to be a wholesaler. What would be some of the first steps I would think about doing? I mean, do I need to go get incorporated? Do I need to, 
What do I need to do? What's step one through one through three, for example, and how do you get started? Well, when I started, um, I I first started by educating myself, uh, you know, reading, uh, probably listening to podcasts like yours, and uh, and reading online at places like Bigger Pockets and uh, other various websites. Uh, then, you know, once I had a little bit of information, I reached out to some people that I knew had enough money to purchase a house and uh, basically got myself locked and loaded, if you were, if you will, and then went out to put what I had learned to action and actually going out, meeting sellers, making offers, and uh, that's when it starts to roll, so to speak. Now, I see signs everywhere around here. Uh, you know, I'm north end of, of uh, Pinellas County. I see that We Buy Houses, actually. I've, I used to be in a... a uh, Affiliate for We Buy Houses last year, actually. I did that for a while. Um, however, I see a lot of the, the We Buy Houses signs and the, the available cash only. Have you, What's your opinion on that? Does that work pretty well for you, or are you more sticking to the direct mail? The bandit signs, uh, when I first went full-time, uh, well, the second time I went full-time, it's been a bumpy road there for a few years in 08, uh, 07, and 08. But uh, when I got back in full-time, I, I did uh, some work with Bandit Signs, and they do work uh, in that you'll get the occasional seller call. Um, here, specifically in the Tampa Bay area, we're kind of saturated with signs. That's for sure. I think people are used to seeing them. They probably hardly even look at them at this point. Uh, so the, the calls were not pouring in, so to speak. Um, but... When I put them out consistently, I did end up doing a couple of deals, uh, I would say, in 2013 from that. Uh, that same year, though, <clears throat> one of my mentors, uh, who also did the same thing with Bandit Signs in Jacksonville, was fined heavily uh, by code enforcement, I want to say, I don't know, north of eight or $9,000 because they yeah, charged her per sign. Um, now, if you look at her campaign, uh, as far as how much income generated from the signs and the fines, I mean, she still did quite well for the year. However, I didn't, at that point in my business, I wouldn't have been able to absorb a major fine. Yeah, uh, I so I, I, I shied away from doing it uh, for the simple fact that I don't want to be chased down by city employees. Right, I don't blame you one bit. And I know a lot of people talked about they put them out on Friday afternoon, they pull them back out on Sunday, which... I must admit I've done that myself, and that's, boy, that's a lot of work, <laughs> taking all those It is. It's no fun. Out. I mean, after you do that a few weekends, it's like, man, I want my weekends back. Yeah, you know? step in a ditch, find a snake, all that good stuff, yay. <laughs> not a good time, not a good time. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, you know what they say about marketing is that everything works, nothing doesn't. And uh, direct mail is something that I've also had good success with. Uh, I can see that it definitely works with wholesaling, especially when you're trying to appeal to, uh, I'm sure a lot of your your leads or your the people that you're working with in the probate situation, they live out of state. Uh, for example, you know, a probate, grandma or grandpa had a retirement house down here in Florida, but they live up in Chicago somewhere. So do you see that the majority of your leads actually wind up being out of state? Is that correct? Oftentimes, uh, you know, we get uh, calls from people who, you know, may have not even seen the property before, uh, or maybe one of their Brothers or sisters might be down here, but they're not, and they're the personal representative. Uh, so it just it varies from lead to lead. 
Uh, but for the most part, you know, these are, are it's a situation where it would not make sense for the heir to move into that house and uh, and use it. I see. You know, let's talk a bit about, about and I've, I've maintained this since day one with uh, the difference between wholesalers and agents is is number one wholesalers to be successful you're forced to negotiate you have to know how to negotiate you have to be very very good at negotiating to be successful now that's the same is not true for real estate agents which i've never quite grasped the concept of why that is because that you would think that they would should that would be their most important skill as a real estate agent is negotiating but unfortunately history has proven that it's not so what type of, how did you learn how to negotiate? Did you take a course or is it just something you've done over by doing several deals and getting lots of no's? Let's talk a little bit about the negotiation piece. Sure. Um, I believe uh, both uh, reading, you know, certain books. A lot of times I, uh, I like to read a lot of nonfiction uh, sales books. I also came from uh, the years of uh, trying to wholesale by day and I was actually a salesperson at night, uh, so I was uh, whole, you know fly by day, so to speak, on my wholesaling career at first. Uh, but the the sales job that I had at night kind of helped me, you know, learn the psychology of sales, so to speak. And so I've applied that somewhat. And then you know, on the flip side of that, you do have to get out there and give it a shot, and you know, give yourself a chance to screw it up. Because you will, you're going to screw something up. Oh, absolutely. But when you do, learn from it and don't do it again. And uh, so that's it's kind of like at first you have to get over the fear of uh, making a mistake, really, so that you can take massive action. That's powerful advice, right there. Get over the fear of making a mistake, and I I run into that with my clients on a regular basis. They're absolutely terrified to make that first offer. Are we going to offend the seller? Or are we going to you know, whatever. They're just terrified of making that first offer. So, Oh, yeah, account, account on offending the seller. I mean, if you don't offend the seller at least part of the time, uh, you're probably not starting low enough. Exactly. And, uh, you know, occasionally I get asked, you know, abruptly to leave, and that just happens. <laughs> yeah. It, so you have to laugh it off and keep going. Yeah, I've I run into that. I'd actually, just recently I was working with some buyers over in Tampa, and, you know, everybody hears that the market's hot, so the sellers or the agents are throwing $50,000 extra on top of a couple hundred thousand dollar house. I'm looking at the numbers twice going, but there's no way it can be worth this. And I'm breaking it all down, not an appraisal because I'm not a licensed appraiser, although I've done all the same schooling. But come to find out that, yes, it's in fact $50,000 overpriced. And then try to explain that to the seller, and they not only <laughs> throw their offer at you, they slam the door in your face at the same time. It's like, well, I guess in six months when the listing expires, I'll be here to actually pull the trigger and close on your house. That's exactly what happens. I mean, those are going to be expired listings. If you look through the expired listings, it's all overpriced stuff. That's why it didn't sell. And I think often, you know, I think a lot of times the realtor has let the seller dictate the sale price and instead of uh, taking control of that situation and telling them you know you're wasting your time you're wasting my time you know putting this listing together if it's not going to sell well yeah i found it to be a combination of one or two things it's it's either you're absolutely right they let the seller dictate based on what they saw online or their uncle uncle harry and 
Buffalo thinks is the value. Whatever Zillow of the said, yeah. Right, or whatever Zillow said, which lately Zillow, Zillow's been coming in kind of low on some stuff. It's kind of interesting, but it's Zillow's all over the map, as we well know. So is Trulia and all the other ones. But um, the agents trying to make it easier for them to get a yes. Well, Mr. Real Estate Agent, I think my house is worth 230000 Yes, but I can get you 250000 if you sign right here, right now. And the mm-hmm. agents have got their one hand behind their back with their fingers crossed that some poor sucker walks in the door paying cash and doesn't ask for an appraisal. So, you know, I'm seeing. No, that, they're going to they're going to sell the, they're going to sell that listing at the what the second or third price reduction, right? Yes, exactly. Which uh, it is what it is is the marketplace, which brings up an important important point. Um, and I get this question a lot: Is that why do wholesalers always advertise? properties as cash only a lot of my buyers have that question i just had that come up recently and i of course explained to them why but i'd like you to 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 field that question because it's something that comes up on a regular basis why cash only well first and foremost is if you have a buyer with a conventional mortgage um and i could be incorrect on this statement some of the time but not often most of the time if they have to go get their Wells Fargo or Bank of America mortgage, there's going to be a title seasoning requirement uh, by the underwriter. So when they're underwriting that loan, they're going to look at a chain of title, and they're going to say, well, Jim doesn't even own the house yet, or Jim just owns the house as of last week. And, uh, you know, of course, the banks don't want to see flippers making money, uh, so they put in a uh, 90-day title seasoning requirement into their mortgages, so I would have to hold it for 91 days uh, before I could sell it for the profit that I want. Um, the second reason is, even if you found a mortgage company that did not have a title seasoning requirement, oftentimes we're dealing with property that is not insurable. Uh, it needs significant repairs before they could get adequate insurance for the lender to be happy. And, uh, and so for those reasons, it just makes more sense to deal with either a cash buyer or someone with a private lender that can overlook those things. I see. That's a good answer. That's actually, yeah, I, I just learned something there myself. I didn't think about the insurability of it when, when that comes to how that factors in. So what, in my people by now, by the time this episode comes out, which will be next week, um, my the previous episode, episode 12, is will be out. And I'm going to go ahead and... You're probably going to listen to it here right after we hang up from this call. But in that episode, I teach people how they can remove a house from a flood zone. Absolutely take a property that's in the middle of a flood zone and legally remove it from with get FEMA to pull it out of a flood zone. And Jimmy, you know, of course, being in the business, the impact that can have for investors. I mean, wow. You go right. Yeah, flood many zone, of my no. investors. Many of my investors will not buy in a flood zone, uh, so that that definitely would help me a lot. It sure would. So listen to that episode. But how? Which brings up how do you arrive at the price that you're willing to offer a seller? And I've heard a hundred different schools of thoughts. I've heard the the Sean Terry principles, the seventy percent of ARV. I've heard double the rehab cost. That should be the rehabber's profit. What do you have a particular method, or is there a average method that you hear more often than not? As far as how do you get to the price where you're going to offer the seller? As far as me, personally, the way I'm going to analyze it is I'm going to work backwards from after repair value. Um, you know, what would we realistically be able to retail the house for 
in a short period of time if we had a fixed up product. So I'm starting with that number. I'm then subtracting, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm subtracting from that repairs, buy, sell, hold cost, profit margin for my buyer or my investor, whatever you want to call it, and then, of course, money for me. And uh, and then that's that's going to equal my maximum allowable offer, my Mayo, as you probably heard it called. And uh, and I obviously am not going to start at that number. I'm going to start lower than that number and come up to it. That's good. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the buy, sell, hold cost and the holding cost. The holding cost is something I see a lot of rookies missing. You know, they're not factoring in for the, the person who's going to wind up buying this from them, whether it be the rehab or the buy and hold investor, there's going to be a period of time before that property produces an income. So guys, listeners that are out there listening, you got to think about those holding costs and be realistic. When I say be realistic, allow more than what you think it would be. Now, things like you're going to have mortgage payments, you're going to have uh, utilities, taxes, you may have additional monies owed on, depending on how you structure the note to buy the place in the first in the in the first place, there's lots of different things that can come in uh, regarding holding costs. Besides utilities, you can be thinking of tra- trash bill, dumpsters. You know, allow for these things when you're out there as a wholesaler. And Jimmy, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're providing a service to the investing public. You are really the first line. You're out there where the the investors, the buy and hold investors, and the fix and flip, depending on what your invest your uh, investor identity is. But you're out there doing the work for us to some degree you're out there negotiating the deals so we don't have to because as a like for example i'm a buy and hold investor everybody knows that very well i'm looking for a buy and hold long-term hold property i don't i'm generally not looking for stuff that's destroyed i'm looking for multifamily. and jimmy you know that if you come across to the two or up to 50 units somewhere in the in the markets that i like to be in then i'm gonna i'm on your buyer's list to receive those deals that said, you've taken the time to do the homework, to ask me the pertinent questions of what exactly my needs are and how I get to my numbers. So, guys, listen, listen to the show. If you're out there and you're going to be a wholesaler or you're going to be a bird dog for a wholesaler, which we'll get into here in a second, take the time to figure out what the buying habits of your buyer is, which, Jimmy, you do on a regular basis. I know this, uh, which is a great service because now I'm not having to consistently repeat myself and you don't send me garbage that I'm not going to buy. You know, you know that I'm not going to buy uh, something down in Miami, for example, because that's just not my market. Uh, same time, I'm not going to look at ALFs. That's not in my investor identity, so I wouldn't get those type of opportunities from you. But you know, the, to to my listeners, take the time to really find out, to understand your buyers. And I believe, and Jimmy, correct me if I'm wrong, it's all about finding houses for buyers more so than finding uh, buyers for houses. In other words, I think what you do is a combination of both. You have a pretty good buyers list, and it seems to me like you put a bigger priority on the buyers list, and then you're out looking for properties that fit their identity. Is that accurate? Once you get, if you're just starting out, you may have to, you may have to have a find a buyer for a deal. Um, but once you have that first burst of deals. And you start to market them, you know. You'll start to organize who's who in your marketplace, and you'll be able to. You know, hopefully, you'll keep good notes, and uh, and then you'll go back to the guys who you know are serious, and you you can clearly tell 
what they want, and they know what they want, and they're not indecisive. You know, those are my favorite people to deal with. I want to deal with somebody who I could take them on their word. Right. Hey, I'll buy the house, Jim. Okay, great. I can stop working on that one now. And, uh, you know, so I think it's important to, you know, definitely try to find out from your buyer. And cost of money, going back to holding costs, you know, that buyer's cost of money is one way for you to know whether or not you're going to be in the same ballpark. Because if they have a 12% or 15% cost of money, you know, that can be huge depending on what price range you're in. And uh, so definitely want to take the time to ask them, you know, the important questions about what they're looking for. And I find that it's easiest just to ask them, what have you bought lately? Oh, there's and, a great example. And then maybe tell them some of the things that you've, you know, some of the opportunities that you've come across lately or things that you may have sold to other buyers. And, uh, you know, that'll help them to see where you're at and see where they're at. And then maybe you have a good fit. If not, you know, they'll... Like, we have some guys that we're only going to buy subject to deals. So they only want me to call them if I can take over payments right. for money down. And, uh, you know, other guys that are strictly buy and hold, uh, Section 8 buyers. You know, they want something that can comply with the uh, housing authority, as hard as that can be sometimes. And, and yeah. then, of course, there's other guys who just want to fix and flip, and they don't actually have any money. They're borrowing, you know, to the hilt to do their rehabs, but they're still buyers, you know, if you have a deal that fits. Right. If it fits their parameters, absolutely. And their parameters really come down to where they're getting their money from, their source of funds. I have people probably on, on a regular basis about, you know, wanting to do, want me to do hard money for them and, and it just doesn't fit my identity. And some people don't seem to listen. I keep telling them, it's like hard money is just not what I'm doing. I buy apartment buildings, multifamily. That's what I like. If you have one, right, it's a different risk assessment. I mean, you can't just jump out of that and into lending and and treat it the same, right? Right, absolutely. Twelve, you know, twelve, eighteen percent, four or five points, whatever they wind up doing, and that they get the willing to offer me doesn't matter. And that's what I tell things, what I tell people when I'm my listeners when we're talking about raising capital is, it's not about what I think the investor needs; it's asking them, Mister Investor, what is it you what is it you need? Why are you investing? Are you looking to to turn money around in a year's time? Then well, I'm not your guy. I'm not a hard money guy. That's not what I do. I'm a long-term investor. And, you know, my minimum obligation for most of my the people that I work with is five years and, and, and up going from there. And those type of people usually want a longer-term solution that has reduced risk, and that's what fits their identity. But uh, So I'm glad that you guys take the time to work that out and Jimmy, tell me about the tell the audience about the biggest lesson. If you could just say, if you could come up with one thing, the biggest lesson that you've learned in wholesaling thus far. It, it really the one that I've learned, the biggest lesson that I've learned, and the one that I learned more than once because I made exceptions, is properly vetting your buyer. Uh, if you have a deal, let's say that has to close uh, next Friday. And a guy comes along and says he'll buy it, and you don't necessarily require a large enough non-refundable deposit, or you allow him an inspection period in your agreement, you're opening a can of worms. You have a chance that he's going to leave you in the future hanging 
And of course, you're going to leave the seller hanging in that That's same scenario. So what I've said is we have standard a standard procedure. You know, you're going to put down X dollars in escrow at my title company. There's going to be non-refundable language in the agreement. Right. The agreement that I sign with you is going to say you don't have an inspection period. You've completed your inspections. Or we don't move forward until you do complete your inspections. And if you falter from that, it will bite you. It right. me. Ask me how I know. It happened a few times. <laughs> uh, definitely, you want to watch out for buyers who want to get in with very low deposits, and you want to watch out for uh, buyers who want inspection periods and just don't allow it. Yeah, I see that a lot with the uh, virtual wholesalers. The guys calling me from you know, somewhere in New York City or in Brooklyn or somebody from California, and I'm looking at the area code, and I'm going, you know, and they're making it sound like they're right next door. I'm going, you know, everybody this, this day and age has caller ID, and it sounds like you're in a call center. <laughs> I can hear all these people talking in the background. Let's be honest. I mean, have you been inside the house? Have you been to see the house yet? Which brings me to just a quick question. Have, do you make offers generally over the phone, or do you try to go out and see the properties before you make offers? I go out to the properties 99% of the time, and uh, what happens is a call comes in, uh, my associate uh, screens that person on motivation. Uh, if it's just a, somebody that's trying to waste our time or not really motivated, I typically don't even hear about it. Okay. Um, if it gets through the screen, then there's an appointment set, and then that's typically when I make direct contact with the seller. I visit the property. Um, I personally, right now, I personally visit the property and, you know, get an idea of con- condition. Uh, sometimes I'm meeting the seller there. Sometimes I'm just walking through. Uh, but I, I really need to see that repair number uh, before I can give them a real a real offer. And, uh, you know, otherwise I'm shooting from the hip. And I could do that. And, you know, I can't say I never did it. I used to uh, try to virtually wholesale in the beginning and, uh, and with no boots on the ground, which is just crazy. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> but. I wouldn't recommend that. I would, uh, I would say somebody's got to go see the house and see what kind of condition it is. You just can't take the seller's word for it. Right. And as speaking as one of your customers that's actually here in the same market with you, and when I've looked at deals of yours, I appreciate that you go out to the, the opportunity, go out to the asset. You're actually here on the ground, and you've picked up the phone and called me and said, you know, Tyler, this one has a lot of electrical issues, and you, you better get your electrician out here because this one's not going to be cheap to fix the electrical one. I appreciate that honesty, and that's very rare in the marketplace, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because you're a reputable guy. You do what you say you're going to do, and you follow through the same way I do it, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, speaking My pleasure. Of, I'm trying to make a lifetime out of it. Uh, so. <laughs> I think you're well on your way. And speaking of which, do you, do you use bird dogs at all? I know a lot of people use bird dogs. Um, I'm unfortunately prevented from using bird dogs because I have a real estate license and the state of Florida doesn't like me to share. But I know as a wholesaler, you can do, use a bird dog. Uh, is that something that you've done in the past or are you looking to do? So, a lot, yeah, a lot of people have, uh, well, everyone nowadays has a smartphone or um you know, at least some sort of internet connection or telephone that they can use to uh, upload vacant houses that they find for sale by owners that they find, and of course, people come across uh, motivated sellers just in their their own circles, right? And uh, and so we try to 
put the word out that, you know, we can help sellers, uh, these bird dogs will send us the information. And uh, so we've just rolled out recently a way that uh, they can just click a link, you know, put in the property address, seller's contact info if they've got it, and submit that to our CRM so that we can begin working on that lead. Of course, if it pays off, uh, then they'll be compensated. That's great. That's awesome because a lot of people don't don't do that, or they they probably you know they should. I believe they should, but and in some cases, real estate agents they're not allowed to. Which I, like I said a minute ago, I'll never quite understand why that is. But that's great. So, guys, if you're out there and you're in this in the Tampa Bay market, or you know somebody that has a property they're looking to get rid of in a hurry, they're not going to list it with an agent because if they're going to list it for retail, they're going to call Tyler because that's what Tyler does. Uh, <laughs> a little commercial for myself in there, but uh, if you're looking for to, to unload a property quick, or if you're looking for a screaming deal, I've seen you've got some great properties come across lately, uh, Jimmy, uh, that, that just came across my email the other day. And so how do people reach out to you? What's the best way to contact you if, if they're either cash buyers that are looking for properties or they have something they're looking to, to unload? Um, you can go to, if you're uh, interested in investing, um, if, if you're looking to buy deals, you can go to wholesaledealsinflorida.com. That's wholesaledealsinflorida.com. And then you can also email me personally at hardmoneygym, hardmoney, J-I-M, at gmail. All right, so that's uh, wholesaledealsinflorida.com is the website address or Hard Money Jim. I didn't catch the rest of it. Hard Money Jim at Gmail. At gmail.com. Hard Money Jim at gmail.com. And as always, folks, if um, for some reason you can't reach out to Jimmy or you couldn't write that down when you're driving down the street, you look in the show notes. I'll put that in the show notes so you'll be able to just click on the link. It'll take you over to an email if you want to drop him an email and give him an idea of what you got, what you're looking to get rid of, or what you're looking to acquire. I'm sure Jimmy can help you if it's in the Tampa Bay market. So, Jimmy, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I know you're busy and you got a bunch of things going on because our market is on fire here in the Tampa Bay area. But thank you very much for taking the time out of your day and uh, joining us on this episode to help my uh, listeners learn to earn. My pleasure, Tyler. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right, have a great day. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.